0: This is the Bill Kelly
1: Show Podcast. Here we go. Uh, John Best was on our program earlier this week, the publisher of the Bay Observer, and said that, look he had heard, this was on Monday or Tuesday, I guess, that, uh, that Andrea Horvath was going to just offer the money if that's what Hamilton wanted, which kind of caught me off guard. And I said, are you sure? Because, well, you know, that she seemed to be very, very staunchly in favor of light rail transit. Well, at an editorial board meeting yesterday at the Hamilton Spectator building, uh Andrea did say that, look, if the money's there for Hamilton, if they don't want to build LRT, they can have it for something else. Kind of a shocker. Joining us to talk about this is Ryan McGreal, editor of uh, Raise the Hammer, uh, and also a strong advocate of LRT in the interest of full disclosure. How are you doing this morning, Ryan? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, now yes. I can. Sure, we're good to go. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I mean, it
2: wouldn't be a day in Hamilton if we weren't talking about something crazy related to LRT. <laughs>
1: here's, here's what I'm trying to get my head around. Uh, those of us that have been debating this, and that's a lot of us over the last number of years, I thought we were debating a concept, a future, a vision. Uh, now this has devolved right now into uh, trying to buy our votes. Here's the money, you guys do whatever you want with it. What, what, whatever happened to the vision?
2: Yeah, that is, uh, it's, it's baffling, it's exasperating, uh, it's, it's really disappointing.
1: Well, and I understand. Okay, it's an election; people want votes and everything. But uh, you know, there was a principle involved here, wasn't there? It wasn't just about the money; it was about the way we wanted the city to grow and the way we wanted to 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 be perceived as as a forward thinking city. Now it's just about hey, how much money can I get from the government? We don't really care what you guys do with it.
2: Well, exactly, and it, it, the reason why. The city uh, developed an LRT plan over many years, you know, involving broad consultation with Hamiltonians, consulting with experts, doing a lot of research. We submitted that plan to the province and asked them to fund it because we can't afford not to build LRT. LRT gets the city into a position where we actually become financially and fiscally sustainable over the longer term. Council understood that at some point. Senior staff understood that at some point. The public seemed to understand that at some point, and uh, and that was why we developed this plan and sent it to the province. The province approved it because it was a good plan, and so to turn around now and say, well, I don't know what um, I don't know what council wants, you know, but uh, you know, you let us know and we'll give you the money. Council has has voted over 60 times in the past decade consistently in favor of moving this LRT plan forward. It was submitted to the province. It was approved. It was funded. The construction has gone out to RFP. I mean, we've already done this decision. We've already made it. You know, I, I think it's wonderful that, that Andrea Horvath um, respects the autonomy and the responsibility of municipal councils. To look after local affairs, they've done that. It's time to put this to bed and move forward.
1: But, uh, uh, there are people on council, obviously, that would disagree with that that particular point of view. We get that, and we know who they are. But isn't this just feeding that fi- that fire to simply say you don't need to do this if you don't want to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it really, it uh, it you know it, it it undercuts confidence in the entire project, and, and it also raises some some really big procedural questions. I mean, uh, you know, if, uh, according to the spectator article I read about it. Um, Horvath said, you know, that you that can spend it on on a, any transit project to want. Well, does that mean that that cities are going to start re- receiving provincial money for local transit? Because that's new. That's a development. That would be a major change in the relationship between uh, the province and municipalities in terms of how transit is funded. That's not in the NDP budget. So is is this or, or in, the, in the NDP platform? So is this a, a major policy change? I mean, these are these are big questions. That uh, that this statement has kind of
1: raised. Well, Well, I understand, and and I'll ask the same question that I asked when we heard about Doug Ford's pronouncement a couple of weeks ago when he was in town. That you could have the money if that's what you wanted to do. Uh, First of all, governments don't work like that. They don't hand people a billion dollars in a check. You know that that doesn't happen. What the government had promised, the current government promised, was to fund the cost of the building this thing over the number of years. In other words, they're going to borrow the money for it. There's there's no billion dollars sitting in a vault someplace that they're going to hand over to the city of Hamilton, and 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 Andrea Horvath should know that she's been in government long enough to know how government works. So is is she saying you can have the billion dollars, but that doesn't mean does that mean we're not going to get any other infrastructure money for the province? I mean you know is that our allotment? Is that what we're going to do? I, this raises more questions than it answers.
2: Well, and the other part is in terms of of just the basics of of, of responsible governance. Is that if you're going to spend a billion dollars on something, you need to have a very clear plan for how you're going to spend that money. It can't just be, um, you know, a check that you cut for here. Here's a billion dollars. You know, put it into whatever you want. You and that has to be earmarked for a very specific project that has been costed and has been designed and engineered. The LRT plan has gone through that process and it took years to get there. You know, I mean, I, I could understand if the NDP came and said, "Look, um, we're going to, you know, we're committed to funding." Uh, transit infrastructure in Hamilton, if, you know, you have uh, voted repeatedly for this LRT plan, we respect that, we're going to honour the funding, we're going to complete it. If council decides, you know what, we don't want to build this after all, then you need to come up with a new plan and you need to present it to us because we're not just going to cut you a check for whatever you feel like.
1: It took how many years to actually get to the point where we are now? From the time, well, like, hey, this is not about, uh, Like, as you say, design, uh, you know, public input, all this sort of stuff. It was, It was years.
2: Eleven years. It, they started talking about it in 2007.
1: So let's let's assume let's let's go down this road this hypothetical road for a second. Let's assume that the the new council after the October election decides no, we don't want to build this thing after all. Whatever, the, uh, what's what's Plan B? I, I know their their short answer is going to be well, bus rapid transit. Really, where's it going to go? Uh, are you going to extend? Is it going to go water down? Are you going to do? Where, we don't have a plan. Right. It would take years to start to develop a plan.
2: And the city very carefully considered bus rapid transit and light rail transit. Uh, You know, they, I mean, they've right right back to the original rapid transit feasibility study in 2008. The reason that the city decided to go with light rail transit is that the capital cost is higher, but the carrying capacity is higher. The operating cost per passenger is actually better, which the city is responsible to pay a big part of that. um, And the potential for new, economic development around the line is much higher so we actually compared brt and lrt lrt gives us a better value yeah why would we why would we go to, to to build an inferior project product that's going to cost us more money in the long run because we have to pay to operate it
1: Well, and and I want to go to past record, and I'm not trying to throw darts at council, but I mean, we have to deal with the reality here. Uh, Is this, uh, you know, back of the napkin planning that they've done for transit over the last number of years has not worked. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're in this, this conundrum that we're in now. They've thrown lots of money at transit. Ridership is down. It's not working properly. This was supposed to be part of the solution.
2: Absolutely. I mean, this, and, and again, this is the city's, they, they call it the blast network, but it's a network of five rapid transit lines serving the entire city. So, step one is you, you establish an express bus line and you start increasing service level and you start attracting more riders. We started doing that in the 1980s with the B line, that east west corridor that the LRT is running on. We started the B line express bus route in 1986. So it takes a while to build ridership to the point where high, that higher order rapid transit starts to make sense. We've done that work on the B line. That's why they picked that line as the first line for LRT. So if we're going to put you know, a, a, an express bus or something somewhere, we don't really have any other plan other than the plan that we're doing right now. This is supposed to be the first part of five rapid transit lines serving the entire city. If we don't start, we're never going to get anywhere.
1: I mean, to go back to square one right now, to basically tear up everything that we've done here and simply say, never mind. I understand there hasn't been a shovel in the ground yet, and I understand there's been a lot of money spent on this, but to, to start this whole exercise again, uh, if, if they were to do something like that, if they were to vote, I'm talking about council in this situation, in November to do something like this, uh, it's probably going to be another two, three, four years before they can even develop a plan, and then you go back to the province, well, there's going to be another election by then.
2: Well, sure, Exactly. And not only that, but I mean, this, this rapid transit plan that we finally approved in 2013 and, and the, the province, uh, committed funding in 2015, we actually started talking about planning rapid transit in Hamilton in 1960. So if you go by how long it took from the first time they talked about the Red Hill Expressway until they built it, we're at the, we're actually past that timeline now. It's been well over 50 years that we've been talking about building rapid transit in Hamilton. It's always been some form of LRT because a subway just doesn't make sense in our local context. And it's always been along that corridor because it's the busiest, highest transit corridor in the city. It's the place that makes the most sense. If we started today from scratch, we would end up with a plan that looks very much like the plan we have now.
1: People that have been around here for a long time would also remember that this is not the first time that we've dabbled in this. I mean, they blew a chance years ago uh when when a private consortium came in and said, "We'll build this thing do you guys want it and basically Hamilton council said no uh that's and and of course, they went out to Vancouver and built it, and it's that's the sky thing out there and it's fabulous so this is this is our make good this is our this is our Mulligan, but this is maybe the last shot we got at this
2: well, and that's the other thing is that we get a chance like this once in a generation, you know, and if we blow this, like you say. Then we have to go back to the planning board. We start with a new plan. It takes several years to develop it. There's another provincial election. Goodness knows what happens. We're completely into uncharted waters. We're at a point now where this project has already been approved and funded. All we have to do is not kill it.
1: So what are we supposed to do? We just obviously have to wait until June seventh to see who's gonna be in the Premier's office. But you know, two of the three leaders right now have basically said, look at we're we're not that, that robust, we're not that, that maybe we're not ready for it. I mean, even Ford's announcement about funding a, a week or so ago he talked about funding for LRT for Ottawa, LRT for Mississauga, LRT for KW, and transit for Hamilton. <laughs> We're already the poor cousin here.
2: Sure, absolutely, and it, and again, it's it's pandering to, uh, you know, it's essentially playing local politics as a wedge issue. And I, you know, I sort of expect that from the Conservatives. I didn't expect it from the NDP.
1: Well, yeah. Again, to go back to our original point, this is all about about vision and philosophy. Uh, now I feel as if, well, they're just trying to buy our votes. Here's the money. Vote for us. Here's your money.
2: Well, if you look at the NDP platform, it is unambiguous. We will build Hamilton LRT. I mean, it actually states it in bold text that's bumped out from the rest of the paragraph. And the other thing the NDP have said is that they uh, plan to cover half of the net operating cost Mm -hmm. for transit in, in Ontario cities and that the LRT would be included in that. So for, you know, there's been some talk about, you know, there's been some concern around council about uh, what the what our operating cost obligations are going to be. Well, whatever they are, they will be cut in half with an NDP government, but um, not if they turn around and say, I mean, if, if council, I mean, ultimately, the, the, the premiers can say or, the you know, the candidates for, for premier can say what they want. This comes down to. Does council have the vision and strategic capacity to understand why it asked for LRT in the first place and to stay the course on this? Because the none of the of the of the context or of the, the circumstances that led to them deciding this have changed. The only thing that's changed is their own lack of clarity on why we need this investment.
1: But the vacillation by the province, well, that's well, the two people that want to be the premier uh is is just it's it's disheartening to see this sort of thing. I mean, you'd like to think that they're going to stand behind the city and their commitment here.
2: Well, sure. And the other thing I think to remember is that really when you when you when you start to unpack what they mean, what Doug Ford and uh Andrew Horvath have said is not really any different than what the liberals have said, which is if you cancel the LRT project, you have to start developing a new plan and you have to bring it to us. I mean, no matter Who's in the Premier's office? If the city wants a billion dollars, we're going to have to develop a plan to ask for it. They're not just going to say, here's a billion dollars, do whatever you want. That's never going to happen. No. So ultimately, no matter who wins, we're kind of in the same situation. It ultimately comes down to, does council have the leadership to stay the course and to stick with their own decisions.
1: I mean, the only document that we can lean on here was, was Rapid Ready that was done some years ago, at all 700 pages. I've still got my copy in the office. I'm sure you do, Ryan. I sure uh, do. And it did talk about, yes, building up bus transit and, and, and in preparation for LRT. And, and I was applauding that at the time. But there was no plan on how to do it. I mean, that was simply said, hey, Councilor, you should get going on this. Well, of course that was all preempted by the premier's announcement for the funding. So now we're where we are right now. But we we are not there 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 is no plan B here. We we can't simply say let's just buy more buses because that that's silly. That's it's not the way to do things. There's no plan. Exactly.
2: You know and you know last time I was on the show you and I talked about the city partnering with uh, McMaster Institute of Transportation and yep. Logistics to figure out why are we not why are we so bad at this <laughs> you know what can we do to make transit work better um, you know and they are taking in the rapid ready plan and the 10-year transit strategy and all of those kind of plans that are sitting on the shelves beside each other that have never been implemented ultimately again it comes down to is council at budget time going to say this is new money that we are allocating to the hsr in order to build out our transit system, according to the plans we already have. If they don't do that, then we're never going to move forward.
1: So obviously we're going to see what happens on June 7th in the provincial election, but I referenced on the show earlier this week when Mayor Eisenberger re-upped for re-election, registered down at City Hall he mused at that point that he didn't think LRT was going to be a big issue in the municipal election. I think it's just got pushed to the front of the line with uh, this announcement, because basically we're talking about it right now, and I think an announcement like what Ms. Horvath said and what uh, Mr. Ford has said really emboldens the people that are opposed to this project.
2: Well, of course it does. I mean, everything that casts any uncertainty on the project is a boon for people who want the project to end, because the longer it gets stalled, the longer it gets delayed, the more likely it is that something is going to come along that's going to blow it up. And uh, and that's just, I mean, that 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 classic stall tactic is what you do when you don't want something to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, paralysis by analysis, and so that seems to be where we're heading again. That's right. Uh, Guillermo um, uh, Peñalosa,
2: uh, used to be, he was the, actually the uh, the brother of the mayor of Bogota, Colombia, and he was in in charge of their their parks and public space department for several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he moved to Canada. Actually, and his, he's in charge of uh, 880 cities, which is an organization that um, promotes making cities accessible to everybody. And he said that one of the things he learned on moving to Canada is that our planning approach is ready, aim, aim. Aim, 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 (laughs) aim, aim. aim. (laughs) And uh, and it's it's painfully true.
1: On that note, uh, we'll wrap this one up. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks so much, Ryan. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. Ryan McGreal, editor of Raise the Hammer. Uh, Yeah, this is going to be job one, and I'm sure issue one, uh, not just in this provincial election, but as we head towards October and uh, electing a new city council. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon
3: on AM 900 CHML.
1: I want to move on to the Ontario election in just a couple of seconds here because uh, we're getting close to election day, of course, on June the seventh. Uh, our talk about uh, Andrea Horvath's uh, pronouncement yesterday that uh, that she would make the funding, the billion-dollar funding, uh, available to Hamilton, whether they want to build LRT or not, which has caused a, a big kerfuffle. We did reach out to uh, to Ms. Horvath uh, and her team told us that she's unavailable today. I guess she's traveling to someplace in eastern Ontario. I think they said and uh, out of cell phone range, so she couldn't even do a phone interview with us, but uh, we will hook up with her. Uh, We have extended uh, our our invitations to all of the party leaders. I know the Premier was in town a couple of days ago and was on Scott Thompson's show. Uh, We've had uh, Mike Schreiner from the Green Party on the program, and uh, we've extended invitations to uh, to Trandir Horvath and uh, also to Doug Ford. Uh, Have not firmed up any dates yet, so that should be interesting, especially if we can get Mr. Ford to uh, to talk to us. Uh, It's been a rough week for Doug Ford and for the campaign. Uh, A report in the Toronto Star earlier this week said uh, Ford attended a fundraiser that was omitted from his itinerary, and it actually breached campaign rules by attending. As well, another candidate in the Brampton area had to be replaced because of a story uh, from an operator on the 407 highway saying that it's investigating theft of data while this guy was working for them. So he's out now, and there's a lot of questions being asked. Is that going to have an impact on what's going to be happening on June 7th? Let's bring David Aiken into the conversation, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. How are you doing this morning, David? Not too bad, Bill. A beautiful uh, Friday, ready to start the long weekend. It's not bad at all. It's about time we've earned this. Uh, is the <laughs> sun is the sun still shining on the Doug Ford campaign?
0: Uh, well, there might be a little clouds creeping <laughs> in. You know, it's... Uh, the thing about it, it hasn't been a great week for the, the Ford campaign in that they've had to put out a lot of fires when they would, would have preferred to be training their guns on Kathleen Wynn and increasingly on Andrea Horvath. And, you know, Horvath and the NDP are, you know, still creeping up and they've still got some wind. The thing is, I, I the Ford support, every poll has told us, is rock solid. Um, it's really not going anywhere. He might lose a couple of points, but by and large, is going to stick in the high 30s, maybe low 40s. hasn't got a lot of room to grow, and that is, could be a bit of a problem for the Ford campaign. But uh, people who like Doug Ford like him a lot. And to the extent that all these candidate bozo moments and, and this latest thing with the guy at the 407 investigated for stealing data that may have been used to help elect PC candidates... Voters are going to have to make a determination: Is Doug Ford responsible, or is that the Patrick Brown campaign? And to the extent that Ford can kind of rub his hand or rub his uh, hands a bit of it, uh, it may not hurt him as as much as it might otherwise. But as I say, the Ford support is rock solid. Uh, what I'm really watching is his battle NDP versus Liberal. There's a lot of Liberal voters out there that don't like Ford, uh, you know, not surprisingly, uh, but they know when is not going to lose. They themselves may be saying, you know, it is time for a change. They're kind of long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. And all right, let's vote for, for Horvath. So if Horvath can build some momentum, they they still need more money than the other. They are they're still need the children to fundraise. If they can somehow build some, some more momentum, they do have a path, albeit a narrow one, to get uh, get past 62 seats.
1: The Ford situation is is. I guess really shouldn't surprise us, though, David, and I, I'm not going to start drawing the Trump-Ford analogies like some other folks have, but, I mean, we saw that happen in the presidential election where there were so many posts along the way during that campaign where we thought, well, that's going to do him in, and it didn't. People that liked him just didn't really care. I, it doesn't matter to us what he does, and I'm getting the yeah, same and, sort and of I- thing with Ford here.
0: Right. I don't buy that Ford is like Trump. I think they are two very different guys. But it's similar. The phenomenon, you're right, is similar in that those who supported Trump weren't going to be knocked off Trump. They just wanted change, and Trump was the change agent. And similarly, uh, those who want a lot of change uh, are sticking with Ford. I mean, think of what the PC Party has been through in the last six months—from you know the whole Patrick Brown saga to the leadership race to Ford—and there's the support for the PCs has stuck right around 38, 40 percent. It really hasn't moved. That says to me, I'm locked in. You know, the PCs—I got to vote PC to get rid of Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals—and and to the extent that. The Ford gang can hold on for another couple of weeks you know, yeah, Premier, it's Ford is still, I think, the favorite to win this
1: thing. I was mentioning on the show earlier this week about uh, the 1990 election, and and it was was a very similar scenario to what we're seeing right now, although it was the liberals that were in office back in those days. Of course, David Peterson called the election. Uh, But we got the sense on this program that back in those days, David, they said, you know what, a pox in both their houses. We're tired of the liberals. Uh, We don't trust the conservatives anymore because, you know, they got rid of Bill Davis. Let's give the other guys a chance. And, And that seemed to be the consensus. It wasn't, hey, I've looked at the NDP platform and I like it it's just no I don't like the other guys that are going to go vote there. you get the same sense that that may be going on now?
0: I think there's definitely that dynamic in this current campaign. All three platforms, if you ask me, have gigantic holes in them, oh, mostly yeah. on the costing of uh, various initiatives. Everybody is a spendaholic here. There's no fiscal conservative out there if that's what your particular interest is. Uh so it's really changed. And and we've seen any number of polls where 66 to 2 66% to 2 uh to 3 quarters of ontarians are saying that's it um i just want some change and so that the he will be for those ontarians okay who's your change agent is it andrea horvath is it ford one of the and that means the campaigns for ford and horvath still matter a lot i'm going to put up a a piece on globalnews.ca a little later on this morning which takes a look at the leaders itineraries where have the leaders been in their campaign we're two weeks in now lots of stops And you can tell a lot about a campaign, how a campaign thinks about itself Mm -hmm. by where the leaders are. Horvath, 87% of her stops have been in the enemy territory, in PC ridings, in liberal ridings. In fact, she's only twice been in ridings her party holds. Brampton East, a little earlier on in the campaign. Today she's up in uh, Kenora. The liberals, all defense. In fact, it's ridiculous that when with the, the liberals have put their leader into ridings that they won by twenty points or more in twenty fourteen, and you're not. No campaign wants to waste the leader's time in a riding that you're going to win, and yet there's a riding, Mississauga Malton, just near the airport, near yeah, Pearson. Oh yeah, yeah. It's where the the liberal, the, the federal liberal is Navdeep Bains. He is Trudeau's political li- lieutenant for the GTA. This is liberal territory, Mississauga-Malton. And Kathleen Wynne won it by 23 points in 2014. She has been there not once, not twice, but three times in the first two weeks of this campaign. That, to me, says their mission since day one has been save the furniture. They're hoping they avoid third-party status in the in the Queen's Park, let alone trying to win government. That's really what it's come to. There's a dozen, there's like half a dozen stops that Win has had in ridings where she's won by 20 points. Yesterday, for the first time, actually, Bill, for the first time in this campaign, she made a stop in a riding held by the Conservatives. She had a little uh, stop to meet some supporters in a pub in Whitby last night, in the riding of Whitby. That's the first time she showed up in a PC riding. And today is the second time she's going to go up to Allison, Ontario. That's where they make Hondas, manufacturing mm-hmm. plant. That's in the riding of Simcoe Gray. Simcoe Gray, for sure, is going PC. I can't see it going anything else. But but uh, that just shows you where the campaigns are going. The Ford campaign, Ford Nation, by and large, uh, uh, you know, frontrunners campaign. Yes, playing some yeah. offense, but has visited some safe ridings. Was in Niagara West, I think, this week. Um, you know, Sam Oosterhoff's riding down there. Tim Hudak's old riding. Uh, that was That's, that's a safe, a safe seat. very safe campaign. seat, yeah. But uh, Ford has also come through Cambridge, for example, where, uh, you know, he hopes to steal things from New Democrats.
1: Well, I know, I know we're just about out of time here, but, I mean, they they see the same map that you and I have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the GTA is, is the voter-rich area. I mean, that's what won the election for the Liberals the last time. And they've got to see that slipping away just by the, the way the map's looking now.
0: I, I agree. The, the GTA, and uh, particularly the 905, the yeah, Mississaugas yeah. to Whitby's, That's real PC versus liberal territory. Although, watch out for the NDP doing very well in Brampton, where they already hold one seat, there's five there, that could be a big deal. But I think the NDP, if they're going to win... They're going to have to really clean up everything west of Highway 6. You think of Highway 6, Owen Sound, right down to Niagara Falls. Yep. Everything west. That's Hamilton, Brantford, Chatham, Sarnia, London, uh, Ingersoll, you name it. And the, and the polls show the NDP are more popular in that part of the province right now than the PCs. And in 2014, the NDP saw their popular vote surge in southwestern Ontario. That is the battleground I'm looking at right now. And that is PC versus NDP. And if the NDP can find some win there, watch that little core of orange in downtown Hamilton spread out uh, right through uh, the region, as I say, west of
1: Highway 6. Well, we'll watch for your post up on the Global website later on today. David, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. All right, thanks. Cheers. Take care. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent, of course, with Global News. Uh, you can see him every night on uh, Global News and Global National at 6.30 in the night. Uh, I want to bring Christo Avelis into this, uh, Social Science and Humanities Research uh, Postdoctoral Fellow uh, at the University of Toronto. Christo, uh, thanks for jumping in. I really appreciate the time today. Uh, Thank you for me. Your quick read on what you've seen happen in the last seven days, uh, and, and as I was just talking about with David Aiken from Global News, uh, there was a time in politics where you'd see things like this and say, boy, that's really going to cut into the lead. Uh, that's, that's a character issue, and we don't want people like that in public office. I don't know that we hold people up to that standard anymore.
4: Well, you know, I think, I think, you know, in the era of Trump, I think a lot of people are skeptical that this will have an effect. I tend to think it will have an effect. It might not be the same kind of scandal that it would have been in the 1970s or 80s or even 90s, let's say, but I think it will have an effect. And I think it's not, it's just, it's not just the one scandal. It's the three scandals together. It's, you know, the allegations from some, some media in Toronto uh, in 1010 and AM 1010 that, you know, upwards of, upwards of 29 PC candidates used a, you know, system where 407 data was taken using fraudulent votes to win PC nominations. We don't know who those 29 are, so they could effectively be any 29. Um, it, it really is a big scandal, and I don't think this one is going away, and while Ford And the PC certainly have their diehard supporters that are going to vote for them no matter what, like any party has. Um, You know, some recent polling has the NDP at 35 and the Conservatives at 40. And if they bleed two or three points and the NDP pick up two or three more points from the Liberals, and this is the reason for that bleed, it could very well change the election.
1: Where are those votes coming from? Are they disenchanted Liberal supporters from the past, or are those just undecideds that have decided to move to on-camp?
4: Uh, well, you know, I think, the, the, I think the, the NDP is picking up votes largely so far from the Liberals. I think people who are disenchanted with Kathleen Wynne's agenda, disenchanted with um, the fact that while she has made some progressive decisions, by and large, it was a kind of repudiation of what she ran on in 2014. She's violated the fundamental charter rights of workers. She privatized Hydro One. She's allowed health care funding to, to languish, in a sense, to certainly not keep up with inflation and things of that sort. People are not able to get the medical care they need. Um, and you know, I don't think people are buying her Hail Mary attempt with her kind of six-month conversion to, to uh, being a progressive again like she was when she, ran for, when she ran for premier in 2014. But I think, you know, the NDP is also picking up some votes from some disenchanted conservatives. I've seen on social media and I've seen, you know, talking to people in my community that a lot of people are like, look, uh, you know, Doug Ford is not the kind of person I want leaving this province. I don't trust him. I don't think he represents the province very well. And a lot of people, uh, and maybe, maybe people don't think this is the thing anymore, because maybe we're all about sound bites. a lot of people are very concerned about Ford's lack of a platform. And they're worried that, you know, Andrea Horwath is talking about creating new ambitious social programs around childcare, dental care, and pharmacare. But those might end up putting us less in deficit than Ford's, you know, very, very uh, deep tax cuts and without a seeming way to pay for them. You know, if you're a fiscal conservative, the social democratic option might be the one for you this time, because the NDP is the only party talking about raising taxes to cover part of their spending. Is that well, is that why
1: they've frozen at 40%, which is still pretty solid. I mean, we don't want to diminish yeah. where the, the, the PCs are, but the fact that there's no program there, there's no costing for any of this stuff right now. Uh, basically, what Doug Ford is saying is, trust me, I'll just give me a blank check and I'll fill it out later on, but after we get elected. Uh, and that may not bother the, the core supporters, that 40%. But b- there's got to be other people in the province that are saying, I'm not so sure we want to do that.
4: Yeah, I, I think that it's not even the 40 I think some people are still parked there. It might be 35 It might be 30 Maybe even it's a little bit lower. Who knows? I think you're right. The Conservatives right now have to be saying, if they knew two years ago, saying, look, we're going to be at 40% with a couple weeks left, they'd take that. But they were at 46 a couple months ago. Um, I think Ford is not a very popular leader. Um, Patrick Brown, before the scandal, certainly, maybe he wasn't the most charismatic guy, but he was a lot more, uh, seen as a lot less uh, offensive than Ford. And if Christine Elliott was to have won, she'd be a much more popular leader, I would wager, than, than Ford. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's, a bi- that's a big deal. A lot of people are really concerned. And I think, um, and, and Andrea Horwath has spoken about this, and others have spoken about this, saying among other things, is that, you know, Tim Hudak, for all of his faults, was honest with the voters about his intentions. He was going to cut 100,000 jobs. He was going to, you know, know, rain pink slips down like a ticker tape parade. But that was his policy, and it was soundly rejected by the electorate. And Ford, and and this is my personal view, believes much the same, but Ford is trying to effectively um, lie by omission in terms of what his vision for the province is. And I think that's a real real challenge there. He's scared that if he says what the real intentions of the PC government are, people won't vote for him. But it might backfire if people think that, you know, the lack of a platform shows he's unready to govern.
1: Well, they say in politics a week is a lifetime, and there's three lifetimes before we vote, so a lot of stuff can happen. Christo, thanks as always. Great talking with you again today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Christo Avellis, of course, from University of Toronto. You're
3: listening to The Bill Kelly
1: Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. The lawsuit between the city, the Tiger Cats, Infrastructure Ontario, and I think everybody at one point had a stake in this, uh, seems to have been settled. Uh, We're told that there is an agreement, although they haven't signed anything, they haven't released any of the details yet. But it may, Our, 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 our national nightmare, well, our municipal nightmare anyway... Well, one of them, and anyway, it we'll <laughs> may well be over. Scott Radley joins us, host of the Scott Radley Show. Of course, you hear him every night at 6 o'clock here on CHML, and read his fine prose in the sports pages of The Spectator. How are you doing today, bud?
3: I'm good, but i got to say, I think we have more than one municipal nightmare. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, yeah, we're doing these alphabetically. We're down to the S's, though, the stadium. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into the LRT nightmare, and then there's the uh, the infrastructure nightmare. We could go on and on and on, and we do. So from time to time,
3: special edition of the Bill Kelly Show.
1: <laughs> what do you what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I was I had heard rumors about this about four weeks ago, uh, and yeah. I t- I tried to ask some of the principals, and they they weren't talking. And they said, yeah, we're close, but I've heard that for the last two years. Uh, so now all of a sudden there's a settlement here. What do you make of this?
3: Well let me let me throw it back on you for a second cuz one of the first things that popped to my mind is like so many other things everything in our world seems to be politically motivated. I don't know if this is or not but after all this fighting and all this squabbling and uh, if I read the story right today and I read it a couple of times so I think I did that the mayor that mayor Eisenberger said that the city is being made whole of this. So this is not the city forking out for this. Is this The provincial liberals trying to get this off the table before the election as something they can point to because this is a a provincial government-funded stadium. I'm I'm not sure that I want to guess that it's just political, but the timing is odd.
1: I I think uh, where there's smoke, there's fire because I I tried to ask the same thing of some of the folks that I was talking to that would not go on the record. Uh, What kind of a a role did the province play? And they said, well, they were at the table. Uh, So I don't know what that means. So I don't know if they wrote them a check or if they. Nudge somebody in the right direction. Who knows? I, that's one of the reasons I'd like to find out what's going on. And I'm I'm a little puzzled by that one line in the story. That when they're talking about this, uh, and they say that uh, <laughs> they they have to decide how they're going to convey the pub information to the public. Why don't they just give it to us? I mean, <laughs> what are what are they afraid of?
3: Yeah, this is a this is a, well. I suppose they you know if the if the private companies, the subcontractors are somehow involved, there's they'll argue that. But I mean, this is this is public money, Bill. This is public money that has been spent. Well, regardless of which pocket or purse it came out of, it's public money that should, you would think, make any kind of secrecy things or concerns about what we're going to tell people irrelevant. Who paid for this? What we don't even if you don't want to tell us exactly what the dollar figure is, the tie cats are getting. Who's paying for this, and will it be paid promptly, and are the taxpayers of Hamilton on the hook? The mayor, as I say, seems to have implied, seems to have not even implied, seems to have said this is not going to be Hamilton City money that's paying for this. But that, that kind of stuff, the the, the the broad strokes, I don't think there's any need to be secret or or obfuscatory, you can just tell us. I mean, what, what's what's the
1: harm in telling us? Let's uh, go back a step or two here, and let's uh, let's go back and talk about the uh, name the players who are involved in this. Uh, it's the city of Hamilton, of course. It's the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's Infrastructure Ontario, and uh, who else is in there? I guess the contractor was in there, uh, and uh, probably some subcontractors uh, that would be involved in this sort of thing. Yeah, and the province, of course, and of course yeah, the provincial government. Yeah, now. We know it doesn't take brain surgery to understand where the Thai Cats lost tons of money on this. I mean, they had to go and go to Guelph obviously for a whole season, uh, and that was costly. They had to pay the university, there were transfer costs, all that sort of stuff. And even then, it wasn't ready for the following season either. So they had to play a few games down at McMaster or on Joy Stadium. So we we know where their costs were, and they're they're substantial, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm always I, I've tried to ask the mayor for the last couple of years that this thing's been floating ahead of us here uh what are the city's costs here? what do you what, because my understanding was is you know the money that was set aside for the stadium there was a holdback on that and all these repairs that we've been talking about you know mm-hmm. that was all covered by that cost in other words the city didn't have to pay a nickel for that
3: well, that's that is the underst- no Well, let me back up. I don't know if the city had to pay for that or well, not. Well, they
1: they said no. That's what when I asked well, the mayor said- about that, and I asked Councilor Ferguson about that, who's the chairman of the committee. Uh, and by the way, we've asked them all to come on, and they they can't. They said they will in due time. Uh, but I asked Councilor Ferguson, and I said, "Is is this costing?" He said, "No, it's not costing the city a nickel. It's yes, all what- it's all from this big holdback that they had, which which is typical, by the way, for contracts."
3: Yeah, and and my only question—it's not—it uh, it, maybe it's more of parsing the details. When they say it didn't, it isn't costing the city anything. Did the city have to put the money up, but with the guarantee that the money was coming back to them, so that it doesn't cost them in the end, or was it city money or our provincial money? Regardless, as I say, we are told that this deal is not going to cost the city, and we have been told, as you rightly say, Bill, we've been told all along that the repairs, the falling speakers, and the whatever else, that stuff, regardless of who put the money in at that moment to pay for it, that that is not going to be paid for in the long run by the city. So we shall see. And to me, that then suggests that there are only really uh, two options. One is that the provincial government has just said, fine, here, let's just settle this and get it done. Or B, that a subgroup of the provincial government, so Infrastructure Ontario or even the some subcontract, sub, subcontractors of that have put this money in. But, I mean, again, well, it shouldn't be that difficult just to paint a picture in broad strokes for the people so that they know where their tax dollars are going. I, I don't see how that possibly could be an issue, even if the actual dollar figures are not announced. We do, I I really believe, Bill, that we do as taxpayers, we do as the people funding this ultimately, because even though it's not coming from city coffers, provincial tax dollars still come from us. We're still the ones paying for this. And and federal. We have a right to know this
1: stuff. Yeah. Uh, The the way it was set up when the the whole thing started, it was two years ago, I guess they started the legal action here, Uh, as we were told in those days, and they were pretty tight-lipped about the facts there, but, but the city... Uh, sued for $35 million in damages for what they call breach of contract, negligence, and misrepresentation uh, when it came to the planning, procurement, design, construction, project management, and other aspects of the stadium. In other words, uh, we got sold a bill of goods and, and, you know, we want some money for that. And they, they were asking, for, and they said, at the, at the time, the city said, uh, if we win and get our 35000000 million, we'll send over to the Ticats for their pain and suffering. So, I, now, I don't know if that was pre-done by the Thai Cats in the city, uh, because I thought there was some friction between those two. So, uh, I, I'm very interested to see just what these numbers are and who gets what. And you're absolutely right. This is public money. We have a right to know.
3: And there has been friction. Uh, the city has been very um, intentional recently, to point out that all is well between them and the Thai Cats. And I, I maybe it is, but don't forget, there's also this thing going on uh, that I think the mayor, if I call, recall it correctly, was at the forefront of, where the Thai Cats are trying to bring in this new soccer league, and the city says, no, you don't have a lease for that. And the Thai Cats say, yes, we do have a lease for that. Um you can say all you want that everything is hunky-dory and we're sitting around the campfire holding hands singing kumbaya day after day, but the evidence would suggest there still are some things going on. Will a lawsuit um, deal change that? Will it make everybody happy? And will, will both sides now say, fine, okay, now we're all good. Let's just have a reset button here and uh, we'll, we'll go back to being best friends. I mean, I'll be very interested to see if that lease for the soccer league is included as part of this, if that is clarified as well, because that's been a, a subject of some consternation and some disagreement. I wonder if that gets thrown into this agreement deal as, okay, as part of the making hole, you also get this for this price or whatever. else. I don't know if it'll be there or not, but it would. it's one of those things that also has to be cleared up because they're talking about playing next year.
1: Yeah. You know, this is the thing that's, I think, concerning to an awful lot of people, uh, and it's not a matter of taking sides on this. This was an ugly situation, but this estrangement, Scott, between the city and the Tiger Cats started long before this lawsuit. It, oh, yeah. it started way back with, where's the stadium going to go? And, and and some of the same people that were involved back then are still there, obviously, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you can bury the hatchet.
3: Look, Bill, I would would argue that the estrangement between that, what you're talking about, that estrangement between the Ticats and the city, it's not just there. I think there's an estrangement between the Ticats and a lot of people in the city still who are sour about what happened with the stadium fight. Anyone who thinks that the stadium gets built and everybody just forgets about it and moves on, I think that's a little naive. I hear still people. You do, too. Any time you bring up and you start having a talk a topic about the LRT on your show, I would almost guarantee that at some point in the conversation, if you get five phone calls, one of them is going to mention the stadium. This, sure. is, not, this is not something people have forgotten. And so what happens now, though, is that this is not just a settlement. I mean, it is a settlement. It gets everything financially and, and that way sorted out, we assume. But it also changes the discussion a little bit because for – how long has the stadium been built now for? Three years? Four years? We're going into the fourth year? I think year, we're heading into the fourth year, aren't we? Since this started, there has always been talk that, well, with a new stadium, every city, every CFL team that has a new stadium gets a great cup game. And there's always been talk, Hamilton wants to have a great cup game. Barula, if I recall correctly, came forward to council and asked that there would be some motion brought forward expecting there would be two in the next 10 years. The Ticats have always said, we can't make any kind of bid on this until we have this lawsuit settled. Well, now that the lawsuit is settled, the expectation, I think, is that the wheels are going to get cranked up pretty quickly into some sort of formal bid so that the Thai Cats are going to go forward and that we are going to hear in the not-too-distant future that a Grey Cup game is coming here.
1: And I think, if, I think to Councilor Marula's point, they, I think they do owe us a couple of games. I mean, we haven't had a game it. here since 1996.
3: But it, and and it, back you know, in those
1: days, I mean, the the Grey Cup. Well, the Grey Cup did not go well in 1996, as you it recall. It was awful. Uh, no, the well. game itself was great. I mean, great. But, but the week up to it, and, and there were some great people involved in it. But I mean, uh, this, the league was on it was dying at that point, and and the Grey Cup was was not what it is now. It's a guaranteed money maker now. That's why every city in the league wants them again because they know that they're going to make a ton of money. But the problem we've always had here. We, and Randy Ambrose, the CFL commissioner, has mentioned this, is, is the Ticats can ask you know and, and put a bid in, but it has to be a cooperative bid between the city and the football team. And I've seen that, and you've been to Grey Cups. I mean, uh, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Toronto, wherever it is, it's the city that puts on the show. And uh, if the city and the football team are not getting along, uh, you got a problem. And, th- and that's my concern at this stage. Is these two t- entities, the football team and the city, don't play well on the sandbox together
3: yeah, I talked to Terry Pekoski from the spec on my show last night. She's out trying at the Memorial Cup right now. yeah. and she was talking about the show around the Memorial Cup, not just the hockey, but the 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 festival basically that's going on. And it's, a, it's a, they've done an exceptional job, she said. It's really, really well organized. It's big. you can it's not just in one little tiny core of the city. That's the kind of thing. and, and you know, great Cups have been that way. I mean, go anywhere out west, the whole city pretty much becomes. Engaged in this thing so it is absolutely bill a, a cooperative effort between uh, effort between the ticats and the city that would be required but also as i say i think that once this thing is settled the clock begins ticking and it's both the city and the Thai Cats now that i think football fans and others around here are going to be saying okay so where are we now where are we there's no more excuses let's uh, let's get this thing going when's the great cup coming here now ultimately it's the CFL's decision but I don't know that the team and the city can stall anymore as far as making the idea that they're going to put a bid together. If the league chooses not to put it here, that's on the league. But if there is no bid, then that's on the two sides here.
1: But they're going to have to do something about, about, like I said, building some sort of a friendship and relationship. And, and you know, there's a greater problem here, and you've talked about it, you've written about this in the spec as well, Scott, is the city council, for one reason or another, doesn't seem to have a whole lot of time for a couple of the sports entrepreneurs that have really made it, Bob Young being one and Mike Handel are the other. Uh, You know, Michael has been talking about a new arena, and and we talked about it on a show, you've written about it, and we found out that nobody on council even bothered to pick up the phone and talk to him about it. And and Bob Young, I think, has had the same level of disrespect from some of the people on council. And you, you can't build relationships like that. No, I, I These, think these guys one, have put a ton of, of a blood, ton sweat, of and tears and a ton of money into this community, and, and the city just seems to say, yeah, so.
3: They, uh, you're absolutely right. Now, the, the one slight difference between the two might be that, as we say, when the stadium thing happened, Bob Young, uh, whether he or his other people with the organization antagonized some people on the city with their position, nonetheless, Bob Young has poured millions into this team, has kept the team afloat, um, yeah it's it, there whatever happens and i mean we do have a municipal election coming up in the fall so there will be some some pro- possibly probably well certainly there'll be at least a couple new faces because we have people running for provincial office and probably one or you know one of them will win at least and um, so it, th- things could be different in the fall things could be open if the lawsuit is gone i, mean, I don't i don't know how much honestly that the councillors the individual councillors are burning with rage about a lawsuit that the money won't really come out of their pocket and doesn't really affect them either in their job or personally. I don't know how much they feel sour about that, but certainly the ones who went through that whole stadium saga, I can understand that just like with the LRT, at the end of this whole thing, there is going to be a group of them that never want to hear those three letters again in the rest of their life, if they come across a word that has the letter LRT in sequence in that word, they won't even use that word because it'll just be so traumatizing. Stadium is the same thing. And so can can both sides suck it up and get over it and work to the better? Well, they have to. I mean, they, that's just the reality. That's what they are about. The city council has been elected to do that. And the Thai cats are a public, well, they're a private, but they're a public trust in a sense, not financially, but emotionally. Mm-hmm. They're a public trust They have to do the same thing.
1: I hope so. For everybody's sake, I hope so. Scott Radley, hear him uh, every weeknight at 6 o'clock, of course, here on CHML, and uh, read him in the spec. Thanks, as always, Scott. Appreciate the time. Anytime, Bill. No problem.
3: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.